Welcome to We Are SC. This is Eric McKinney joined by Daryl Rideau. And, and Daryl, it's, uh, it's a Daryl special here. We're talking defense yeah. and only defense. Uh, USC announces that they are bringing in Todd Orlando as the new defensive coordinator. We'll transition into that a little bit. Let's go, let's go back a little bit to USC's defense, specifically USC's 2019 defense, since that's a, a lot of the personnel we're going to see in 2020. What, what was your overall takeaway from how that defense played, what you saw from that defense, and then go ahead and spin it forward a little bit into what I guess what you wished you would have seen more? Because clearly that there were some issues that that, that defense had. You know, I, I was a little surprised and taken back by the lack of production that a Clancy Pendergast coach defense should have gotten, considering the amount of veteran leadership that they had returning, more athletic at the, uh, at the corner position. Um, you know, going two years back into the 2018 season, the biggest knock on the defense wasn't the front seven, but it was the amount of deep balls that the secondary was giving up. So you bring in the likes of Coach K on the defensive line, Greg Burns, and you think by adding additional adults in the room that simply cleaning up technique, calming guys' legs down, getting eye discipline would result into a better outcome. The secondary throughout the whole season did a, a fairly good job of keeping defenders in front of them, not giving up the deep ball, the cheap passes, and we didn't call too many pass interferences from that secondary. So those were some of the positives. But in the second stint of Clancy, much like the first time that he came through, you, I, I expected to see the attention to details. Like much of like what we saw, again, 2018, that first half against Notre Dame, when the defense played lights out two seasons ago, and you knew what you were getting, but you just felt like they were kind of outmanned at times, and that proved to be the difference. But this season, we saw much of the inconsistency that we saw that lingered in 2018 and created a residual effect. And when you think about the, the style of defense that they play, which is more of an attack style of defense, you have three down linemen, and then this defense is really predicated on getting pressure from the in rushers. You think of the likes of over the years, guys like Porter Augustin, um, and uh, you know, to name to name one of many that Uchenna had success too. from that predator position. Chenna had that big year too, sure. And Chenna Usu, yeah. You know, you you think about guys like that and how much of an impact they make coming off the edge, being that hybrid Leo slash predator of you know, defensive end slash linebacker. When you don't get that kind of production, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the interior part of your defensive uh, uh, defensive front and in the secondary. And this was a team that, for one reason or another, under Clancy, just never really clicked. Perhaps it was how they went about practicing. One of the things that was really disappointing from the, the time that we were able to experience and witness a lot of the practices before the, um, the schedule changed where we were limited to the first 10 minutes, so to speak. What I found was the lack of contact in practice kind of created a shell shock feeling. And I remember as a corner, I was a five footer and I love being a five footer out there because under uh, defensive line coach Ed Ogeron in the early 2000s, late 90s, in a, you know, a Pete Carroll slash Dwayne Walker coach defense, the one thing that I knew that I was going to be battle tested because of the amount of hitting we didn't practice. So when you take that element away, you leave that element of surprise. And to a man, there's not a player in the world that doesn't go into the game that has those pregame jitters until they take that first hit, Eric. And so 
when you, you know, so, so for many of the players to get that first impact in a game situation, it just, it doesn't prepare you the same way one would if perhaps the way they went about their practices was organized to give them that type of a fill and impact to simulate a live game scenario. That's going to be, I think, the biggest question with Orlando. And he's on the record at, at Texas. He was asked about that. And he, he definitely makes a point to say physical practices are a necessity. You play the way you practice. If you want to play hard in the games, you have to play hard in practice. So that is going to be, for me, one of the big keys for him. Obviously, how they perform and, and all the way going into next fall. But just for spring ball, Right. if he is able to kind of turn that up a little bit and let guys go defensively, because you had guys at Texas talk about his defense is get to the ball and hit, go, you know, go be physical, go tackle somebody. Yep. If he's allowed to do that uh, at USC, I, I think, like you said, it'll go a long way to sort of setting that tone and getting things going uh, yeah. as the defensive coordinator right. at USC. Right. But make no mistake about it. Okay. Before Clay Helton and USC, um, you know, reached disagreement with Todd Orlando. Think about the likes of who they had interviews or conversations with. Joe Barry, you know, went on record of saying that he at least met with Clay Helton and spoke to administration. You know, you also got to throw in Chris Richard. Goes on record, I personally um, can attest to it, haven't had a conversation with him, that he at least had a conversation with Clay Helton, although it didn't manifest into a formalized meeting. Obviously, Clay. Uh, has identified his man um, being Todd Orlando. But, but when I think about those two, they epitomize physicality, playing the attention to details. And so I have to, I have to believe based on, you know, that, that debriefing conversation I had with, uh, with um, Chris Richard and I asked him, you know, what type of a sense did you get from Clay Helton? And I was really kind of surprised because the narrative for me, maybe it's because we don't hear enough from him was, it felt like this program is in disarray. But the impression that I got from Chris Richard was that he has a clear sense of direction as to where he wants this program to go and the type of men that he wants to lead this program. And, and that has never been more evident than the way that he relinquished the one thing that he held on to, which was play calling or being a part of the offense. And the results that he got out of Graham Harrell on the offensive side, it appears as though perhaps have given Clay Helton as a head coach more comfort in knowing that if I turn my defense over to the right teacher, the results will follow. And so if you are Todd, uh, Todd Orlando and you're coming in and you're used to having a certain style of regiment and format and physicality uh, in practice is something uh, to be held, I expect that Clay Helton will not interfere with that and give him the reins. Because if I'm Todd Orlando, before I take the job, I'm asking and I'm soliciting what were practices like in the past. And that is one of the uh, prerequisites for me, if I were him, to have even given consideration to this position. Absolutely. Let, let's look a little bit because some of his track record is he does really well in that first year when it also coincides with getting some experienced guys back who can pick up his system quickly right. and, and put it together. That certainly seems to be the recipe at USC. Again, obviously his first year, but 
what, the fact that you lose Christian Rector, John yeah. Houston Jr., but everyone is coming back. J2 Fale is coming back. Marlon Tuipilotu, uh, Drake Jackson up front. You, you get an added bonus uh, in Jordan Iosefa back with the linebackers, with all that linebacker talent there. And then the secondary, I mean, the, the gang's all back. All those guys right. that were young <laughs> and inexperienced, they've got another the peanut gallery. I love it. It, it sure feels like there's a lot to work with. What, what have you just kind of quick, quick X's and O's overview? What, what are USC fans, what should they expect from Todd Orlando, from a Todd Orlando defense? In order to understand what you can expect from Todd Orlando, you must first recognize what you weren't getting from last year in Clancy Pendergast's defense. What you were lacking was edge rushers, someone that could beat those one-on-one -on -one combats and seal the edges Keep contained. You think you're going to have that in Drake London? Drake Jackson, I'm sorry. In Drake Jackson, um, and the promise is there, okay? Now can you build upon that and give them a complimentary piece on the other side? And then you're losing production out of John Houston, but you do gain that back in Jordan Iosefa, a more physical presence, the kind of a downhill player that will hit the running back on his way to the quarterback. And that's what you're going to want. You know, you get EA, um, I, help me with the name. Paula um, EA, no, it's okay, okay. EA, there you go. Um, expect a healthy EA to come in and really contend for starting job position. But what you should expect from Todd Orlando is much more production from the linebackers. He likes to have those fat nasties up front, those defensive linemen, those big sexies to clog up the middle. And, and, and take on um, in a one-gap defense to really kind of command uh, the attention of the offensive line to allow those linebackers to roam and flow downhill. Also, what you're going to notice is more of a wide, loose nine technique. And what I mean by that is you're not going to see the defensive ends so tight into the box where it's easy for them to get out leverage. Expect all the action to be on the inside shoulder and then drawn back into the middle. And then you're also going to see more havoc from the safeties. This is a defense that is not afraid to bring pressure. But with pressure, you got to have corners that, that can hold up in man coverage. I saw from what I watched over the years, he's not afraid to go from man coverage to zone. So that's why he, he really relies heavily on veteran leadership. The good news is the style of defense that he's taught is the same concepts that Clancy Pendergast has taught. Three down linemen, three linebackers, in a nickel in the secondary. So it's a 3-3-5 look, but those looks come in and out. You'll also see them at times uh, start a game, depending on what a defense, uh, an offense is uh, showing. He's not afraid to start with four down linemen and, and play a traditional 4-3. So expect less consistency from that nickel position and more flu uh, fluid movement between the nickel and true linebackers. So I love the fact that you bring someone like him in the room that can get the most pope out of that fruit. There is a, a lot of football that was left on the, on the field. And simply by bringing in structure and an organization, the hardest part for these players is going to be is not where they need to be and where their eyes should be, but just learning the terminology. Because the terminology may differ from one coach to the next, but in terms of your assignment and responsibility, Familiarity should breathe a lot of content for these players and the veteran leadership returning on defense. And it is one of those things you don't really expect a lot of, of true freshmen to have to jump in. Everyone who's yeah. going to play 
significant minutes on defense next year was a guy that's here, was a guy that's accustomed to, to being at USC and, and playing at this level and kind of moving forward uh, in their career. I think what's interesting, too, about – and you mentioned it a little bit about Orlando – likes to play a 3-4, can play a 4-3. He, he throws out a 3-2-6 at times. It, it, it is one of those things where it seems like he can adjust a little bit based on what's going on. He's seen those Big 12 air raid offenses. He's not going to not, – not that USC has Washington State on the schedule this year, but he, he's seen a lot of different yeah. styles of, of offense in the Big 12, a lot of wide open stuff. He, he, I don't think any Pac-12 offense is going to just, you know, blow him away uh, when, when he comes out but here. But you, you, you make a good point. And, and, Eric, for USC fans, don't get enamored. Don't, you know, don't start scoreboard looking as you go back and you look at the body of work in his resume because that always doesn't tell the tale. When you go up against these air raid offenses that are designed to just flat out demolish you as a defense, keep this in mind. Last year when he was at Texas – he kind of was somewhat of a scapegoat because clearly they had higher aspirations of contending for a national title or at least being in the playoffs, and they fell short of that goal. But let, make no mistake about it, Texas lost eight starters on their defense. So they were rotating in a lot of inexperience, a lot of guys you have to count on in those high-pressure situations. But in the Pac-12, aside from USC and with Mike Leach leaving, maybe a little bit of uh, Cal. How many other teams are truly running this air raid attack? So expect mean to come back to the middle. In other words, because you're going to see a diversification of offenses from the likes of Stanford and Notre Dame in those power rushings, um, less air raid attacks, you should see better production from a defense that's going to benefit from just simply getting organized and being where you're supposed to be and feeling like you're, you're, you're battle tested going into games. And it, it did. Texas gave up so many passing yards, like you mentioned, replacing a lot of starters that Texas was crushed by injuries. I mean, you, you talk about the injury situation that USC dealt with. Texas was absolutely uh, devastated by injuries. The thing that sticks out to me about Texas, his, his Texas tenure specifically is what they did against the run. I mean, la last year, USC that there were spurts where they played well against the run there were also a lot of a lot of runs where when the running back takes the ball or a wide receiver on a jet sweep or even a quarterback scrambling the thought was okay somebody should be there and nobody was there and, and that is something there, yeah. that's something that he seems like he has a handle on and where USC can respond and get a little bit of that run defense going under him okay so so again how does Todd um, Orlando fit in? If Clay Helton uh, really respects his coaches, that's one of the reasons why many of them have been retained on the defensive side, despite not having a defensive coordinator. And the one area that could benefit from the improvement in coaching and teaching is an area that he focuses on, which is the linebacking core. And linebackers in defensive line usually go hand in hand. So I expect to see a greater emphasis on run fits and a recognition of where you're supposed to be. When, they, when teams start doing that fly series and that motion, you can't just stay where you're supposed to be. There has to be a shift in the movement because now all of a sudden your blocking assignments are now shifted over. I expect Todd Orlando to have these guys dialed up and really I, I expect to see more production from up front. 
And not to take anything away, but there is something to be said about having another year of experience where you're not out there thinking, but you're able to react. And if the only thing that I have to learn is vocabulary, and I understand that, you know, um, what our variation of a man front defense, but use maybe a different terminology, and I can equate that, the quicker that I understand the terminology, the faster that I can play free. And that's what I'm curious to see what happens during spring when you put up an air raid attack against or, um, a Todd Orlando coach defense. And it feels like now you have three head coaches, each coach responsible for their side of the ball in our competition. And then you have Clay Helton in the middle, just kind of tugging on either side to get the most out of each. This by far is going to be the most critical test. Look, I'm like many of our fans, Eric, I wasn't too thrilled about Clay coming back. But now that he is back and we got to make the most of it, this is not the sexiest pick, but it might turn out to be the right pick. And if it is the right pick, then I'm all for the promise of what USC can become. It, it does really feel like with, with some of these recent hires, Gra Graham Harrell did not feel like the, the home run hire. Certainly right. Cliff Kingsbury felt like that, that was the obvious, you know, big name that you go after. Graham Harrell kind of a, a plan B, plan C that you fall into, that seems to work out. There, there are some issues offensively, the offensive line, keeping guys, you know, quarterbacks, running backs yeah. healthy, uh, how you can run. Uh, still questions there, but in terms of the production and how many points they scored, I, I don't think you can really nitpick a whole lot. And right. then Mike Bowen, athletic director, same thing. Not it, it, it wasn't the big home run hire, just kind of still some questions. Are things going to fit? That's, like you mentioned, that's what the Orlando hire feels like. It, it wasn't going out and getting the guy that's like, oh, oh, my gosh, this was it. This was the guy. But there are some things that make a lot of sense to him. He's got experience, you know, at this level. He coached at Texas, used to kind of big name, uh, big talents now with, with the years of Texas. And this is a guy, when coaches talk about him, they rave about his ability to kind of speak defense and to teach yep. defense and, and kind of his personality. There's a lot of positives there to yeah. him that I think people sort of want to wash out with Texas, what they did on defense last year. And I, I'm not really ready to, to throw away his entire career because of a, of a rough season at Texas. But one right. of the things that, that stands out to me about USC, and we mentioned with Orlando, the fact that, that there's three four looks there's four three looks there's yep. like we mentioned that the three two six he kind of does a lot of stuff and, and can adjust on the fly for me what stands out is you have a lot of linebacker it, it's a it's a linebacker heavy defense like right. i said and it it feels like there's so many guys at usc there that you can really do a lot of things with them and when you talk yeah. about in his defense the middle linebacker is important he has a rover linebacker that's also important you can find two guys that can, that, that can captain the defense and that can become a, a big-time pass rusher out of that linebacker group. And then the Manu safety. McClain, remember him. I mean, he's one of the kind of like those lost, those, those, those lost athletes that in the beginning right. of the year showed you so much promise. Right. Will we see the best version of Hunter Echoes? Guys like that. And I'm in agreement with you. Okay, but I want to dial it back really quickly because, look, you know, our athletic director, a lot of people have thrown shade on him just because he doesn't come out and vocalize what he does. But if I got to give a man props, I'm going to give him props. Clay Helton has a friend in him. And here's what I mean by that. Don't sleep on Mike Boone's Rolodex. It's deeper than I thought, okay? I'm just thinking, I asked Chris, 
how did Clay Helton reach out to you? I said, you know, I know you're an SC alum. I mean, clearly, you know, all he had to do is what? Tap into one of the SC alums, right? It wasn't Clay who reached out to uh, Chris. It was Mike Boone went through defensive coordinator for the, um, for the Chicago Bears, former head coach of Indianapolis Colts, Chuck Pagano. And it was Chuck Pagano who reached out to Chris Richard because of Mike's uh, relationship that he built with Chuck Pagano when he was at Colorado. So you start to think about that. Okay, you, you hear glimpses of, of, of Clay saying that he finally feels like he has the resources. It's not always the monetary resources. It's the ability to pick up the phone and find what you need. Be that plug. Be that, um, that Swiss Army knife when you need it. And if, if our athletic director is that resource for Clay, then expect as changes come, it's the right type of change. So was there a lot of due diligence done in this? From my conversation with um, Chris Richard, it wasn't the right timing for him because he has aspirations of still pursuing um, opportunities in the NFL. But I'll tell you this, he was, uh, Chris Richard was impressed with the vision and the clear vision that Clay recognized. He recognized his areas of limitation and he highlighted things that he wanted from a uh, defensive coordinator and the support that he was now getting from his athletic director. And if that's any sign of, of improvement, you must first recognize the areas that you don't do well and bring in somebody that's different. And the one thing that this defense has been missing, when you close your eyes and you listen at practice, you're missing that raspy voice that Marv Gould over the years under John McKay have given you, that Ed Ogeron gave you on the sideline, that will just change the tempo of how practice is going. Perhaps Todd Orlando can be that energy that this defense so desperately needs because a defense is built on attitude and character. And that character starts in practice on how you go about preparing. And when you go about preparing with intensity, it transitions onto the football field. And that's what you want to see from this defense. You want to see somebody playing a little bit more feistier than they played in years past. And if Clay Helton kind of looked at his offense two years ago and said, we need a guy who can come in and put together a passing attack, he went out, got Graham Harrell, he did yep. that. If he's looking at his defense now and says, I want a guy who can come in and stop the run, it's, it seems like Orlando is, is that guy. So, again, we'll see if the defense can take that step forward that the USC offense took last year. I, I'm going to open this up to you. Give, give us some guys uh, on the USC defense that you feel – I know we've mentioned a couple, but – Guys that maybe you're looking at in this scheme and also, again, with the, with the added year that you think maybe are, are set up to do big things uh, for, for SC in 2020. Well, well, in his defense in the past, and again, when I go back and I look at his time at uh, going backwards from Texas, before Texas, he was at Houston. Before Houston, he was at Utah. I have to go Utah, back as Utah far as State. Utah. Utah State, my apologies. Yeah. You have to go back as far as Utah State to find – a Todd Orlando coach defense where the, the defense was in the top 30, okay? But when you're USC and you were, what, in the 90th percentile uh, amongst all collegiate uh, teams? Sure, in, in a few going stats, from, it was lower, I think. Going for, Yeah, exactly, right, depending on what stats you're looking at. But all-purpose defense, if you go from being in the 90s to just hovering in the 40s, you know, in the top 50, you're winning. Because that means that somebody on this defense is going to shine. And I expect Isaiah Palomaro 
to pick up where things left off. But I expect him also to now be engaged in the running game, to share equal responsibilities with the other safeties. In other words, when motion comes across, seesaw those responsibilities. Switch, okay? So that's one. You should see more production in the running game from the safeties. The second thing is, I think that you're going to see more production from the Will linebacker spot. The weak side linebacker spot at USC last year was its Achilles heel. It was such a rotation that you never really got the consistency and production that you got when John Houston, uh, before he moved over to the middle linebacker spot, he gave you. So those are two areas right away where you expect more production. And then on the defensive line, while the defensive line has been the staple of USC, you expect to see them beat more one-on-one, um, um, you know, one-on-one battles, in particular the three technique. You expect to get more production from the interior part of your defensive line from your nose, and that should take pressure off of the edge rushers. But this is a year, if you're looking for an All-American, look no further than Drake Jackson. Expect him to get better having a full off-season conditioning one full year back into this, this program. Um, the intensity of this defense will start with the front seven. And because there are multiple where you're not going to find them lined up predictably, you should expect them to give offenses more of a fit just by, by what you talked about, going from a 4-3, I mean, a, you know, a 3-3 three, three, uh, set, three down linemen, three linebackers, to oftentimes um, a multiple fronts. You'll even see a 5-2 on goal line. So expect that type of production, that type of intensity. But for me, it's going to be, is it Manur McLean? Is that how I pronounce it? Abdul Malik. The, the, Abdul the, Malik, I'm sorry. The, there you go. The outside linebacker, yeah. Manier, I'm Manier, expecting the him to have a phenomenal year. Expect him to have at least six, six tackles, you know, um, at least double-digit tackles for loss because of his athletic ability in his prowess, I would not be surprised if he if he had five deflections and at least one or two interceptions as well. He could be that much of a difference maker on a defense that desperately needs production from the edge rushers. Last thing I, I want to ask specifically about Drake Jackson, because certainly the, the anticipation is he's going to go up another level and, and he's going to be, you know, one of the big time guys uh, for the USC defense, for, for the Pac-12 as a whole. When you go to a 3-4, if he has to slide inside. Now, we've heard from, from defensive linemen in the past, guys that had played outside and moved inside, it's always met with this kind of apprehension. You know, they, they don't like that idea. Eventually, they figure out, hey, if I start closer to the quarterback, that's less ground for me to have to cover. If you can still beat your guy, that works out better for you. What, what do you see from him? Should there be any worry about him maybe being – you know, mitigated by, again, if he is pulled in. There, there's certainly a way that you can get him involved in, a, in an outside pass rush and that sort of thing. But right. if you just go to that that three down and he is one of those three guys down, is there any worry that he maybe gets lost a little bit being taken away from that one-on-one -on -one rush against the tackle? It, it is a shell shock because when you're an edge rusher, you only have to beat one side, one edge, give one move. And, and, and you have two directions to go. But when you start to shade inside, it takes time because now you're commanding a, a lot of, of double teams, chips. And it can become frustration, frustrating, I should say. And the frustration typically mounds when an athlete isn't accustomed to shedding, 
using his hands, deflecting. That's not the case with Drake Jackson. He's a five-tool defensive lineman. He should be able to play everywhere on the defensive line. In a speed rush technique, you should be able to move him inside. He's fast enough to get off the ball, strong enough to engage and disengage. But the key to it is going to be, does he have a counter move? When, when he gets chipped by either a tackle, if he's uh, shaded against the guard, if he's chipped against the tackle or a tight end, or even you know a running back uh, uh, who's silly, does he have a second move and a counter? I'll be curious to see how much he progresses and how much stronger he becomes. Does he shed some of the baby fat and does he start to chisel up and look like the first beast coming off the bus? If he does that, I expect him to have a Heisman Trophy-like season. But if he doesn't, it could also take him time to adjust. Because again, we talk about the frustration. It's like a corner moving from the outside to the inside. It's tough when you, got, when you give a receiver three directions to go, through you or around you. So once you get your eye discipline to where it needs to be and you start working on how your first move sets up your counter, I think he'll be okay. But again, it is going to take an adjustment. And the key to it is where is he going to start on the defensive line? Does he start on the side where he's been most dominant? Or do you see him flip from left to right, depending on what the matchups are? That's going to be the key, how he's going to be used in this new defense that virtually will look the same from an aesthetic standpoint. But rest assured, the concepts, the philosophies, the point of attack, the emphasis will be totally different because of the attention to details that Todd Orlando will bring. This is a guy that has over 20 plus 25, 28 years of experience as a defensive coordinator coaching up those linebackers. So whether he has he puts a hand in the ground or he's standing up, he's going to be able to learn a little bit of, from each position that should benefit this whole defense moving forward. Yeah, our, our big our first big answer on the defensive side, Todd Orlando, named defensive coordinator for USC. Still plenty of questions. Uh, it feels like still it's forever until spring ball until we can see the team back out there again. But uh, looking forward to seeing what this USC defense has in store uh, under new defensive coordinator Todd Orlando. So appreciate the time, Daryl. For Daryl Rodeau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for watching and listening to We Are SC.